Well, this is Pastor Miles and Pastor Mark, and we are back with some answers to your tough questions, maybe, if we can come up with some answers to some tough questions. We have some tough questions. There are some tough questions. All of a sudden, people think we got answers. I know. We're in this thing, what, six old times? And they think we know something? Hmm. Or maybe these look like a clear case of entrapment. You think so? But I can pretty much blame everything on the Bible, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. I think Garrett probably just sent all these questions to us. Did he really? No, he didn't. These are actual questions. They got texted to me while I was teaching. Real people. Real people. Doing real things. How was uh, last Sunday service go? Pretty good. I heard you guys had a good time in the desert. It was good being out in nature and, you know, we didn't wander for 40 years in the desert. Uh, it was good. Did God give you manna? <laughs> Dessert night, s'more night was pretty good. Ooh, s'more. It, it, it was good. S'more night. S'mores. And then uh, a couple of the guys brought Dutch ovens. Ooh. And they did the... Drop cakes or whatever they call it. One them. dump cake and one pineapple upside down cake. Those are good. It was delicious. Yeah, I'm oh. not allowed to eat that stuff. It's not made out of meat. Me neither. Yeah, there you go. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah, we had a good time here. Um, it rained most of the weekend here, but you guys had nice weather. Yeah, it rained in the desert for a few minutes. Oh, did it really? Yeah, um, but it was neat. I saw some sunny pictures, so I thought you guys had sun the whole time. No, big, a lot of wind. And Mm. then all the flowers were popping up everywhere. And it's funny because the hills were all green. The hills are alive with the sound of music. I was thinking the same thing. I was waiting for Julie Andrews to come out and do that, but she actually would be in a walker right now, I think. (laughs) Julie's like a hunter. Is she in heaven? I don't know if she's in heaven. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. It's a good question. We could Google that and probably find out. You googly. Oh, that was a great quote. I love that quote of that movie. I'm I not, probably shouldn't even brought that up. Uh, yeah, I'm not such a great you Googleizer. It takes us in a direction we don't want to go. I can never look at that word and not think you Googly now. There you go. You know, you're you Googleizer. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes yeah. I have to do that. Yeah. You so, too. I know. Occasionally, we we do those funeral things. You Googleys, yeah. It's a great opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah, you know the statistics on death are overwhelming. They are rather high. Yes. You know, there's this whole group of people in Silicon Valley that are spending their multiple millions of dollars that they made on tech endeavors trying to find, like, cures for death. Really? Yeah, they, they want to do life extension programs. It's kind of like hair extension programs, but a little bit different. Yeah, I think they're going to they're gonna spiritually look like doll's heads. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's a good plan. I, I, I for one, don't want to live eternally in this broken world. I want to live for etern- eternity, but not in this broken world. Yeah, no way. I want the new heavens and the new earth. I'm looking forward to the new body. Me too. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I got my hair cut today, and they left a lot of gray ones behind. That's not the fault of the hairdresser. I was looking. She, she, she's slipping, man. That, I hate that hair was you. gray. That, you know, there are ways that she can deal with the gray if you I want won't, to. I won't do it. Yeah. I won't do it. I'm, I might smack you if you showed up with darker hair. That would be weird. Yeah. No, that would be, for me, it would be weird. Well, we are back with more questions. It's a new week. Well, it's almost actually the end of a new week. Yeah. We're getting to the end of the week. So let's just jump right in. What is the difference between soul and spirit? It's a great question. You know, some people don't believe there is a difference between soul and spirit. They think they're synonymous. Hmm. I would not be one of those people. I think that soul and spirit show up in the scripture in different contexts in different ways. Sometimes they're used synonymously. I'll give you that much. You got any thoughts on what's the difference between soul and spirit? Nope. So there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there, clearly, Paul saw a difference between soul and spirit. So I do think that there's a difference between soul and spirit. And since you're not going to add anything, Mark, I'll just go ahead and dominate all the time on this one. You, you, you go for it, buddy. You all right. got it. So I think that the true Mark Childers, the, the part of Mark Childers that is Mark Childers, is your soul. You got soul, Mark. Did you know that? Ow! There you go. I feel good. <laughs> feel like I should. So yeah, so your soul, that's where your intellect, emotion, and will reside. And okay. then your soul which is the part of you that continues on after this life. Uh, although we will receive a new body, the Bible says. So the soul, I believe, is that which is the true you, and it interacts with this physical world through your body, but it interacts with the spiritual world through the spirit. And so, yeah, body, soul, spirit. We are a trichotomy, not a dichotomy. So just like God is a triune God, we are triune in nature, body, soul, and spirit. But the, the other part of this question is what is spirituality? Ooh. Cause you know, there are people today who say I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. You got any thoughts on that? Long I'm choosing pause. my words. That was a long pause. That was I'm like one of those it. long pause. This is when you're That's in a when counseling you read it in script and it goes long pause. Yeah. Yeah. This is when you're in a counseling appointment. I was told when you don't really know the answer, you just wait. Or you want to, you just grab your chin and go. Hmm. Mm. That's why I have facial hair. So I can kind of yeah. be like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What was things, the question again? Things that make yeah. you go, what, hmm. what, what, what is spirituality? What is spirituality? It is kind of the hip thing today for people to say, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get this impression if you're spiritual, you're just grabbing at all this stuff. I think in, in talking with some spiritual people before who are not religious, but spiritual I think what they mean by this is that they, they believe there's something more, but they, they don't want to submit to God. Okay. Cause I didn't understand the question. Really. You didn't understand the question? Not, not totally. No. Cause I, I, yeah, I mean, I get, and what is spirituality? And so I was trying to think is defined by culture, defined by the Bible, defined by me, but yeah, I run into those people. It was like, oh yeah, there's a great something out there there's something bigger yeah that's pretty uh ambiguous carmenutics yeah what carmenutics i just thought that'd be a great name. i don't even know what that is the harmony between ah, you know the vibration spiritual stuff that I really doesn't make any this. sense i was listening to this one podcast one day and this gal was talking about um the vibrations in the universe and how you can get in touch with the vibrations through crystals of course i don't believe any of that sort of stuff but it was, it was she was totally into it People were attracting like, yeah, that's spiritual, man. You got to smoke a lot of weed for that to make sense. Yeah, something we are not, not into. No, mm -mm. no. So, yeah, spirituality. So some people think that they're, um, they're spiritual but not religious. Well, I will say, so if we are body, soul, and spirit, um, then our soul can interact with spiritual interactions that have nothing to do with God. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about demonic hosts, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. And so there are people who... Uh, they spiritually connect with things that are not of the Lord. That's not a good thing to do. But yeah, so that's certainly there. So some people are spiritual in that respect. That's, Occultic. Yeah, that's scary stuff. That yeah. people have no idea what they're getting themselves into. They're playing with and, stuff that they ought not to play with. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Don't touch that stuff. Stay away from it. Can't touch this. Yeah, exactly. All right. Here, here's the challenging one. Can you explain how God views gay people? 
How is it that someone can grow up knowing the scriptures yet still feel the urge to love or even marry another person of the same gender? Today's society pushes to accept gays and gay marriage. So what is Cross Connections belief on society's acceptance versus God's word in the scripture? Well, that's definitely a question that a number of people are wrestling with in our culture today. So um, I definitely have some some thoughts on that. Um, for one, when, you know, how does God view gay people? Well, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So whether you're, you know, gay person, not gay person, heterosexual, homosexual, God loves the world. So clearly he loves all people. He loves broken people and all people are broken people. So he loves all people. I don't think we can say it any other way than that necessarily. Yeah. I think, um, I think there's a, a big difference in the way that God views somebody who's gay and the way that the Christians view somebody who's gay. And I, what I've seen in, in the church mm -hmm. is because it's a sin. Most of us don't, it's a sin. I said sin. Okay. The act of homosexuality. The act of homosexuality yeah. is a sin. It, the Bible says so. Yeah. Um, but because it's a sin that most of us do not struggle with, then we tend to pile on and really are really hard on people who struggle with homosexuality. And so we uh, we pick that as that's the the queen mother of all sin, and that's you know makes you bad, and God God hates that hates you almost is how we mm -hmm. we present that. And uh, I said, you know, if I took this paragraph, this this question, and I replace it with people who gossip, yeah, or so discord among brethren, uh -huh. which God it says God hates that, yeah, um, they'd shut up right there. They they would be convicted. They don't like that. And so I think it's very important. Um, we're not going to call what is sin good. But uh, I think we have to we have to treat it like other sins in 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 that God does not want us to do that, and that's not His best plan for us. Is so much part of what yeah. is sin is sin, and well, that's not it, the best plan. And it's, and worth it's making, not good for us. It's worth making a distinction between someone who because there is a distinction being made, and I think it's a worthy distinction between someone who has same sex attraction versus someone who engages in homosexual activity. So we would say, and I think the Bible would say, so right. it wouldn't be Mark and Miles saying, but the Bible would say that homosexual activity mm -hmm. is sin. So there are people that, that may have or struggle with same-sex attraction, and I wouldn't necessarily say that that attraction is sin, but I would say that every single person who's born is born with um, appetites, attractions, desires that are not in line with God's word and with his nature. So the scriptures are the revelation of God's nature. And so because we are all born in sin, uh, David talks about this in Psalm 51. So since we all have original sin, we're born in sin, we're all born with broken natures and broken desires. So, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, by nature, most people are not monogamous in their desires, meaning that, you know, without God giving us his uh, standard, if you will, for marriage and for relationship, there's a lot of people that would not be in a consistent lifelong monogamous relationship. So, you know, most people are born uh, with broken natures as it relates to sexuality, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual. And the activity outside of marriage done in that way is uh, is sinful before God, whether you're homosexual or heterosexual in your inclinations. Right. So I'm gonna just, let's just call it out. So it's very plain for people. If I decide that I'm desiring another woman, yeah, 
uh, besides, besides my wife, wife. Yeah. And I go out and I act on that. That's adultery. That's adultery. Right. And some people would say, well, at least he's not a homosexual. And I would say, wrong. Yeah, it's still It's still, still sin. sin. It's God sinning dies. against God and it's wrong. And so let's be sin is sin. And so, right. so um, there, there's a big discussion. In fact, it's come up recently with the whole United Methodist Church here in the United States. There's been, uh, well, it's not just the United States, but worldwide. So there's been a big discussion again, and there has been for years on this whole issue of homosexuality and the church. So the 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 church has believed, as far as I can tell, as long as the church has been the church, so going back 2,000 years, that homosexual activity is sin. So um, there's different ways that the church is looking at these things today as it relates to people who are same-sex attracted. So um, there are, there's like two or three major groups in the church right now. There's a group that calls themselves Side A. These are the ones that would be affirming of gay relationships. They would say, it's it's okay, God made you this way, and he's okay with you having uh, homosexual marriages. Well, I don't think that you can make that case biblically. I don't, I don't see it's how that there. fits with the Bible. Yeah. No. Um, I think that there's, there's too much scripture that goes against that. Then there's side B, and this would be people who would say that, um, yes, it may be true that you were born with a, an inclination, same sex attraction, but the scriptures say that you are not to follow through on those desires. And there are tons of things that we have an inclination to do. Like, let's go through greed. We all have the inclination towards greed. Mm -hmm. You brought up gossip. I think that there's a lot of people who have an inclination towards gossip, lying. Uh, There are times where we have an inclination towards anger and wrath and malice that could lead to murder or, you know, terrible sorts of things. An inclination towards... um, you know, sexual immorality. So that's I mean, any let's sort be of honest. If you if you if you drive the freeways, <laughs> you have an inclination towards anger. You've murdered in your heart a for few sure. times. Yeah, yeah, a couple times. Mass murder. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, or at least Lord may the CHP curse that man with a ticket. Well, only yeah, until you see the CHP in your rearview mirror, and then you're begging for mercy. Lord, God, mercy, give me grace. Mercy. Yes, yes, grace. So anyway, so we have inclinations towards all kinds of things that God says these are inconsistent with His nature and His law. So when you become a Christian, you don't do these things. So that would mean. If a person has an inclination towards sexual immorality, heterosexual or homosexual, outside of the confines of marriage, and marriage as God ordained it is between a man and a woman. That's how we see it from the very first book of the Bible. In the beginning, he made them male and female. God invented marriage, by the way, people. Right. So, So, yeah, so the side B position on homosexuality would be you may have an inclination towards uh, same-sex attraction, but in in seeking to be honoring to God, you would set that desire aside and you would deny that desire. And that may mean that you are never married. Right. And you know, um, the late now Chuck Missler. Yeah. I don't, I don't quote Chuck Missler a lot, but I remember this, him listening to him one time. And he said, you know, he said this of himself. He says, I, cause they're talking about natural inclinations and how some people are born like this. Right. Fill in the blank. And Chuck explained it like this. He goes, you know, I'm naturally a very good liar. Yes. In fact, there was a time in my life where I would rather lie than tell the truth because it was entertaining. I was so good at it. Mm-hmm. But it's wrong. Right. And so just because I'm comfortable with it, just because I want to do it, it's uh, lying is wrong. Uh-huh. It's biblically wrong. And he says, so I don't do it. I have to fight against that urge. And he goes, even as a Christian, that could come up at times. And so he made a case for it. He goes, it's like every other sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Let's don't do it. Yeah. And if you're struggling with it, ask God to help you. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of the side A, side B thing on it. You know, the affirming or the recognition that, you know, out of honor to God, then I'm going to set aside this part of my desire 
and and we do this on a lot of different levels. Yeah. So, but I, I do think it's important to say that hey, God, Miles? God loves all people. Yeah, you look handsome today. Oh wow, that was very kind of you. Did that make you uncomfortable? No. Okay, good. I'm just wondering. Just checking. I'm just wondering where that came from. <laughs> all right. Anyway, next one. All scripture. <laughs> all scripture is inspired and useful. Yeah. You know what, Mark? You're looking all right too because you got a haircut today. I did. I think, but again, the gray hair thing—it's it's, um, okay. Fifty-five. I'm getting old. I'm just going to go with it. But I well, will say I'm this: I'm not even forty yet, and I've, I've got a fair amount of gray hairs coming in. Well, that's because you have four kids. So do you? I know, but you stayed darker longer. You got early onset <laughs> of go. gray hair. Not quite like Steve Martin, but it's going to be there. Oh man! I, to, I do know one thing though. I used to have a forehead. Now I got a five head. Yeah. It's a little bigger than that. That my forehead's a little fiber. Yeah. Question it's, number it's three. Bigger. Yeah. All scripture is inspired and useful. What about the books not included in the Protestant Bible? This is a good question. Um, is that like Sirach and... Yeah, if you've ever looked at a Catholic Bible, the Catholic Bible has some books that the Protestant Bible doesn't have. Um, this is a very interesting situation and a challenge to some people. So we have books like First and Second Maccabees, uh, Tobit, Judith, I think it is. I'm trying to remember all of them. So there's a number of books. I think there's... 73 books in the Catholic Bible. We I just know the last time I was in a Catholic church and I was, you know, cruising through the their Bible. Yeah. Uh, I was at a memorial. And I'm like, hang on a second. I never read this book. Uh-huh. With, hey, I, I, I remember this. Yeah. And so, uh, and they, they're throwing out stuff. Book of Enoch like, is in there. Yeah. Yeah. Sirach, I think, is the one that they yeah. were reading out of. Because it's suited the moment. wisdom, too. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. So there's some interesting extra books. In First the Babylonians. He was a guy. That from, one's in there? Babylonians. Yeah. It's from a guy named Bubba in the South. There's wrote. second Fleshalonians in there, too. Oh, is that what yeah. it was? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hezekiah. Anyways. Yeah. So these are uh, apparently Old Testament books. They're in the Old Testament of the Catholic Bible. And um, they. So, so it's an interesting little story about this. So the the Jewish Bible. And the Jewish scriptures going back pretty far, especially to the point of the Septuagint. We talked about that one before. Yes. Before. The LXX uh, is the, the way it is seen in many books. So the Septuagint was the Greek translation the of the Hebrew, Hebrew yeah. scriptures in the third century BC. Um, did not have these books. These were not in the Jewish scriptures, but they were added to the Catholic Bible. Um, well, there's kind of two points. First, when Jerome translated what's called the Latin Vulgate, so this was the Latin translation of the scriptures. He was commissioned to add these extra books to the scriptures, though he contested it. He didn't think that they should be in there, hmm. and nor did the Jewish sages when they were you know, holding the scriptures. And then at, I believe it was the Council of Trent, so the Catholic Council of Trent, that officially the Catholic Church said that these were scripture. But the Protestant Scriptures don't have them, and early Christians never observed these. So they protested it. They did. They protested. Protestant. Protestants. They became yeah. Protestants. Yes. Okay. That we makes sense. are Protestants. I just had that. Like we I are Protestants. We, I thought dun, we were dun, fanatics. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Good. All well, right. yeah. Okay. Fundamentalists. Bible thumping. Fanatics. That's what they once called us, Bible thumpers. So uh, the Holy Scriptures. Uh, all scriptures inspired and useful. What about the books that are not included in the Protestant Bible? Uh, th yeah, I don't think that they are a part of the canon of Scripture, and nor did the early church going back to the earliest days, nor did the Jewish scribes and keepers of the law. They did not have these in their, uh, in their Scriptures. Yeah. However, it is interesting. Have you ever read that little book right before Revelation called Jude? Yeah. Jude references 
the book of Enoch. So these were books that many Jewish people knew about at the time of Christ, but they were not a part of the scriptures. So mm-hmm. yeah, we do not believe them to be a part of the Holy Scriptures. Well, that leads into the second question. Are, are there, there any other? Yeah, you know, the part B of the question. Yeah. Are there any other Holy Scriptures? Uh, I don't believe so. No. Outside of the 66 books of the canon, so that's, you know, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, and the Old Testament books, the 39, they were held by the Jewish scribes and, you know, sages throughout their history. Mm-hmm. And then the 27 New Testament books were held by the church as early as the early to middle second century as a part of the, the Holy Scriptures. And then they were officially... Uh, kind of set as the canon through the church councils that came over the next several hundred years. But that's been the position of the church for a very long time, that those are the Holy Scriptures. Yeah. Now, and I always go back to get practical on these things, right? I think it's a good question. Mm-hmm. But the get practical is, is, you know, most of us can't even get through the book of John in obedience. I mean, we, we've got plenty of Bible. Yeah. We've got plenty of Bible there. We've got more than we're ever going to understand or be able to apply adhere to so we got we got plenty of Bible. well and We're some good. of these books some of these books are useful as history specifically i'm yeah. thinking of first and second maccabees mm-hmm. because first and second maccabees they cover a period of time in israel's history between malachi and matthew so in that intertestamental period so uh, i've read through all the inter oh man between the testaments i know well i know i know what that I, I know what it meant but that was a great yeah. word i've never heard that before. i just threw that thing out there intertestamental like did you day. make that word up no i wish i did would, would i be able to get like like royalties if i made up a word and people started using it probably not hmm. never mind okay right. next book okay so i i a little preface on this next question so i mentioned in passing you listened to the message yes i did i mentioned in passing on sunday people taking away from the scriptures or, you know, questioning what is inspired and what is not inspired. And I mentioned that Thomas Jefferson had what has come to be known as the Thomas Jefferson Bible, where he cut sections of the gospels out and kind of redacted, if you will, with an actual, you know, cutting tool, uh, cut out pieces of the Bible. So someone asked this question. Wall builders said that Thomas Jefferson uh, had something to the Bible... And the Bible he cut up was like a red letter edition. The red letter edition was used and given uh, to a missionary to Native Americans. This is my favorite part. It was uh, on a program on TBN. Have you heard this before? Oh, it's on TBN. It's got to be legit. It's got to be bro. true. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm yeah, not 100% yeah. sure who Wall Builders is, but I think it has to do with David Barton, who um, is kind of a Christian uh, textbook writer, historian, has a collector of all things American history going back to the time. I want to say my kids had some homeschool books by him. Yeah, that yeah. That makes sense, yeah. Uh, the Glory for something. What is the name of the book? I think. Well, The I Light and the Glory is Glory. Marshall. Oh, actually. that was Marshall. Yeah, okay, yeah. well. That's a great know. book. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, so there's kind of two different perspectives on this Thomas Jefferson thing. So there is one group of historians who say that Thomas Jefferson was removing from the Bible sections of the New Testament that he had issue with. That's one view. And then there's the David Barton view, and that's that he was removing from the scriptures these sections to make an abridged gospel testament that would be taken to as by missionaries to Native Americans to try and reach them with the gospel. So I, I don't know. This is a dis- this is a disagreement among uh, historians and um, Thomas Jefferson, author of the Precious Moments Bible to Native Americans. There you go. He, he yeah. made an abridged Bible version. Yes. I, you know, I like that view. If it's true, it's awesome. If he was making a uh, an abridged gospel tract to take to Native Americans as a missionary thing, that, I'm all for that. Well, and it's interesting, like, you know, history, people are trying to rewrite history all the time, but they make Jefferson out to be not a believer. 
Yeah, some people I've are heard pretty that, hardcore. You know, and then but you're looking at what the guy did and what the guy wrote, and I'm like, man. Well, he wrote he, this really. He put some evangelists to he shame. He wrote this really interesting document called uh, the Declaration of Independence. Not bad. And he did talk in there about God created us all men to be equal, which is good. We were endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit. I'm of sure happiness. it was more in the spiritual sense, right? He clearly had some understanding yeah. of God. He was not a total secularist. Yeah. Secularist. No, you know, on this point of creating Bibles or Bible tracts as missionary work. Have you ever seen the Pigeon Bible? Yes. Now, where you do the baptism thing on the Jordan. Yeah. Remember? The, oh, yeah, they have the verses. The verses. John 3.16. Yes. And I remember the Pigeon. What did he say? And God said, that my boy. Yeah, he calls his, uh, well, yeah, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, That's yeah. that my boy. <laughs> that my boy. That's so cool. And, uh, yeah. And, like, I think it's a legit translation. It totally is a legit translation. And in the um, in the Pigeon Bible... Um, he calls his disciples his boys. Yeah, his boys. Those my boys. So if you've never seen the Pigeon Bible, I'm almost certain that it's on the Version Bible app, and you should check it out because, oh, yeah, here it is, Hawaiian Pigeon. One time, this is, um, let's see, let's pick a verse. Give, give me a good verse out of the New Testament, Mark. Maybe well, we should just do John 3.16. Yeah, I was going to say, just do John 3.16. Let's go, Come let's on. go. John 3.16. John 3. I'm in the Version Bible app here. Godwin gets so plenty love and aloha for the people. Inside the world, that he win send his one only boy, so that everybody that trusts me no get cut off from God, but get the real not real kind life that stay in the max forever. I get that's it. a legitimate translation. That's awesome. The pigeon English, you know, God never send me his boy inside the world to punish those people. This is awesome. Yeah, we need a real Hawaiian guy to read that. I can't read it. I I, yeah. I got problems. Okay. Okay. Next yeah. one. How do you know if you are being called to preach the word either in a pulpit or to a person? Mark Childers. Oh. Oh, you want me? No, 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 no. no. I I think it's a that's a good question. I'm gonna hit the I, volleyball I think, over to you. Oh, ooh, here we okay. go. No spike. Uh, I you know I used to joke around. People go, "How do you know you're called to the ministry?" And uh-huh. I'd say. Somebody calls you <laughs> and says, hey, can you come do this? So it's always been one of my, you know, I don't shout it from the rooftop. It's always been one of my things. Like, I never volunteer to teach anything. Do that. I never want to push my way through the door. I always like it better. Kind of like the guy who, you know, Jesus gives the illustration there. of the, All right. Uh, so, but on this point, though, I mean, I think this would be like the, the first call. Because, I mean, I agree. If someone, so... I got Somebody a, asked you. I got an email the other day. Will you come teach at my church in a few weeks? Said, yeah, sure, no problem. Someone asked me. I'd love to do that. But, yeah, but the first but, time know, I went to teach. Okay, the fir- so first time so I went to teach. When was the first time someone asked you to to teach? Someone? I was down at uh, uh, helping with a high school group, and um, the guy around the high school group says, "Hey, I'm going to be gone next uh, in two weeks. I'm going to be gone on a Sunday, and I'd like you to give the sermon." Do you remember what you taught? Uh, I went through. Uh, it was more topical, but I went through actually um, the iterations of Peter with Jesus, and I talked about grace. And I said, "What what does grace uh, feel like?" And I used the illustration that was Jesus' hand pulling him out of the water after he. Had oh, that's failed. a great one, yeah. And Lord what, help, yeah. And that that's what grace feels like because he had just made a mistake, but there was grace there for him, a saving grace. So it's like when you get saved. Um, what does grace sound like? Hmm. Uh, the crowing of a rooster. Mm. He was allowed to make a 
God had blunder. enough grace to make a mistake, and he's looking at Jesus after his mistake, and there was enough grace there for him to allow him to make that mistake. What a mistake. beautiful point when, I think it's when Jesus, the risen Jesus, says to Mary, go tell the disciples and, and Peter. Peter. Awesome. That's grace. Good. That's grace. I, I That's made totally that point. Grace. And yeah. then the third point was, what does grace smell like? And it smells like cooking fish on the beach. On the beach there in Galilee. Because he was restored. Yeah. And and there's a restoring grace. That's like a doing... full-on three-point message. That it was. was. That's my message? first message, man. Oh, you totally called. Hundreds got saved. No. It was, it, yeah, it was crazy. Man. Was fun. I remember my first message. I was asked by my youth pastor to teach like a 15-minute devotional at a camp when I was like 16 or 17. I was scared to death. How long did it go on for? Like 15 minutes. Perfect. I remember that was kind of cool, so... That night, right before I taught, all the leaders, they gathered around me. They had me, we were at a beach camp. They had me sit in one of those, those awesome beach chairs that are really hard to get up out of now yeah. that I'm a little bit older. At the time, it wasn't such a problem. And they all laid hands on me. They all prayed for me. It was, and it was, it was kind of cool. I don't remember what I taught. I just remember being scared to death. Wow. Mm. I just, nobody prayed for me. I just rolled. So how do we know if we're called? Um, well, you know, I think that part of it is there's a there's a deep desire to be able that's one of the ways that we discern God's calling is that he has given us a desire to want to do that. But the other thing is an open door. Someone asks you to do it. Um it's a good good indication that he's wanting you to step out in faith and do it. Yeah, and I think there's a big part where the proof is in the pudding. If somebody asks you to speak at something and what you say makes sense and seems like the Lord has gifted you at that and um But let's just let's just yeah. bring it right up that the the first Several messages or so, or many messages. There, they're pretty challenging. Can be horrible. They, I yeah. don't. I'm certainly grateful. There are no recordings of my first messages. Uh, man, yeah. I, I listened to a couple of early ones of mine from a pulpit in a big yeah. church. Uh huh. I'm like, I can't believe they let me talk again. Yeah, I, they're they recorded in my brain, and that's about all I need on that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I, I will also say this: that um, the, you know. Preaching isn't just for preaching. Preaching is for people. Right. And you're teaching and preaching and sharing God's word. And God left that behind for us, not for, um, you know, our intellectual use. It is to affect people and to help shepherd people and to encourage people, uh, to teach people. Uh And so I think one of the signs that, hey, you are ready to start doing this teaching is the fact that you're taking care of people and you're trying to know people and be a shepherd to people and be a servant to people. And I think some of the best preachers I've ever heard are, are, you know, effective. I'll say effective rather than best. The most effective preachers I've heard are people who have done ministry and they know people and their hurts and the things that that make them tick. And then uh, you know how to uh, steer and guide them in a message and give some important parts. And obviously the Lord, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you pretty quickly if you're a teacher or not. Yeah, you know, um, so two thoughts come to mind. One is that that little uh, taking from the message, the first message that you taught, where the uh, the smell of grace is the Lord providing a little breakfast meal along the Sea mm-hmm. of Galilee. At that meeting with Peter, that's when it's recorded in the end of John's Gospel that Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three times. Feed my sheep. Yeah. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. So, so there is that that call to Peter mm-hmm. to not just preach the Bible, but to feed the sheep and to tend God's people, you know, metaphor for God's people. So, so the, the people of God are the focus of the pastor. 
Right. And I also think Peter, as a minister, uh-huh. uh, when I dial back on that, some things in his life, he needed to experience some of those things and even failure uh, in God's forgiveness for failure to be able to adequately. I think God was preparing him to take on that mantle. You know, certainly, some of the, the experiences uh, he it was very public the way he failed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to take on that mantle, I think he needed to be humbled a little bit. And don't we all? Yeah, obviously, every one of us. But I think it was very public for him. And so, I mean, we have wise. We get we get humbled privately, right? But you know, I don't know. She just always tells me how great I am. How great I am! I've I've heard that song before. I don't think that was for you. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're misappropriating. How great they are. You know. Well, the the no, that's not what I was okay. The other the other thing that comes to mind is that um, on the whole point of the people of God being the focus of the the minister of God. Uh, Jesus, on a number of occasions in the Gospels, he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion for them. Right. And I love the one, I think it's at the end of, I want to say Matthew chapter 9, that he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd and they were scattered and weary. And so, you know, the Lord saw the multitude, was moved with compassion for them. And that was the that was the moving of uh, moving towards ministry there. So what is discipleship? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. I know what it's not. What is it not? It's not a class. It might involve classes, but yeah. It might involve classes and and scriptural knowledge, but uh, true discipleship, Mm -hmm. um, I believe, is what we were just experiencing here with Paul and Timothy. Yeah. True discipleship, it it lasts longer than a class. Uh, I think true discipleship has to do with life experiences that you share with somebody. I think it's an extension of friendship. It's a Christian friendship. That's a good way to look at it. uh, Well, I mean, I think it's important to define what a disciple is because, you know, I think sometimes people think that a a disciple is a leader in the church. And while leaders in the church should be disciples of the Lord, um, a disciple doesn't necessarily mean leader. It just means an obedient follower of Jesus. This is a learner of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Discipline, root word. So, yeah. So um, when Jesus selected his disciples, he selected them to be with him. And I think that a lot of discipleship happens while you're on the way with people, whether it's riding mountain bikes with people Mm -hmm. or, you know, I I can remember when I was uh, various people in my life who have been discipling me, who have discipled me. A lot of those experiences happened while I was helping somebody work on a car or while I was helping someone, I can remember a couple of times going to Costco or something. Yeah. 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 I was helping one, uh, somebody hang a door one time, which can be a real hassle. I did not realize that hanging a door can be so challenging. Yeah, you can get real twisted up. Yeah. yeah. So I remember spending time with a guy who was a pastor, and he was discipling me, and it just was in the process of trying to hang a door, and there was discipleship happening. So it wasn't class. Right, and a lot of the parenting things I was discipled in by guys I really respected and mm-hmm. knew the word and, and were able to apply that in their parenting and things like that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think an important part of discipleship is a learner asking questions yes and willing to accept the 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 answers because the disciples would come to jesus and they would ask him questions hey you told this story about a guy planting seed and we have a hunch that you weren't talking about farming and so then he's answering questions so they're asking he's answering there's discipleship taking place yeah so kind of like yoda dispensing all this awesome advice if my oldest son was here right now he would start talking in a yoda yeah yeah we won't do that yeah my spouse is an unbeliever. Can I still teach my kids about God? Yes. Yes and amen. Do it. Absolutely. And you can, some handy hints. I mean, you know, I think it's easy to say, hey, 
you want our kids to be moral, right? You want our kids to not be liars, right? You want our kids to, you can go down the list and this is what scripture teaches and this is healthy for them. And most spouses would, unbelieving spouses would be pretty lame to say no to that. So the, the numbers, if you're a guy, when a, when a married man who has kids becomes a Christian and his wife's not a churchgoer yet, the odds are like overwhelming that the family is going to end up coming to church and coming to faith pretty quickly. I don't remember the exact yep. numbers. So many times, if you're a guy and you become a Christian, there's a really good chance that your witness and your following Jesus is going to be a witness to your, your wife and your kids. And the same is true for, for wives. Um, it, it's not the same high percentage, but there's a lot of gals who have come here to the church. Their husbands weren't believers, and they brought their kids here. And within a matter of months, sometimes a little bit longer, but in a matter of months, the husband was coming to church too and then gets saved. I mean, we've seen that happen a lot of times. Yeah, I, I can think of a handful of people right. at the church right now, the yeah. wives. I had a chance to spend some time with the gals the other day teaching in one of the you know, we're going over Proverbs 31. And one of the things, uh, you know, I was bringing out is nobody has all these qualities, but one of the signs that you're at home, like you are at church, that you're, you're doing the right thing is the fact that your unbelieving spouse is willing to come with you and check it out because you're not chasing him away from God with your actions. He's seeing something in your faith. It's evangelistic, even in the home. And we know a handful of gals that husbands come to the church and they would, they're not it's funny, they're not Christians yet, supposedly. Well, but they say they're not, but they, they, they attend they, church like a Christian. And they have Bibles. Yeah. And they're at church more than some Christian Fall guys along. I know. Yeah. yeah. And they have real questions. They're more Christian than they, they might think they are. Yeah, they, they, they might be Christians and not even know it. So, I mean, God's working on them. So I think the answer is yes, 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 do it. And yeah. uh, it's worth it. Yeah, First, first Peter 3, one, Peter says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that... Even if some husbands do not obey the word, they, the husbands, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So there's a very evangelistic thing that takes place when a husband or wife comes to faith and mm. uh, they, they share that faith with their, their kids. And I like the way Paul was bringing up with Timothy that he had a spiritual heritage from his mother and his grandmother. And it's correct, right? Uh, Eunice and... Eunice and Lois. Lois. There's not a lot of Lois and Eunice's Not today. anymore. No. No. So uh, what do we got? What's the next question here? Uh, let's see. Is Scripture useful to unbelievers? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, the passage that we started with this last weekend, um, when he was talking about, you know, Timothy, you, you've learned the scriptures, the holy scriptures from your childhood. He said the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, you know, unbelievers need the word of God because the word of God tells people how to become believers. So without, without the word of God, how would they know? Yeah, I, I had an interaction with somebody the other day who was uh, a professed unbeliever, and we were in a situation where um, somebody was grieving, and I spent some time just helping this grieving Christian out. And uh, they were observing that. And later on, they walked me outside and we were talking, this unbeliever and nice guy. And uh, he was very complimentary and says, man, you really brought this into a, you know, you would call it a spiritual place. And 
and you know how you explain death and heaven and all that and you did a really good job you know explaining all this and I just turned around and I looked him in the eye and I said you know I believe this right <laughs> with everything I have and he got an uncomfortable look on his face uh, but he was again very nice nice guy he just doesn't know Jesus yet yet and uh, yet and uh, I, I hope you know, I get to be a component in that someday. I didn't, we didn't want to do anything to put up any fences or walls. And then I'm told he went back after I left and really um, was part of praying for the person and engaging uh, with them and trying to understand things spiritually. So, you know, don't give up, nope. right? Give nope. it. Just Share the scriptures. It is what it is. And it, it, but it was useful to him. It settled his heart, and he doesn't even know Jesus. Okay, what's interesting about this, I, mm-hmm. we may have been having a conversation about this the other day. Either that I'm having a deja vu. Uh, but, you know, there are people who are not believers in Christ yet. We're going to use the yet. Mm-hmm. Who, um, who think that there are important moral teachings in the Bible and that teachings that have um, good values that produce good outcomes. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. So there's plenty of non-believers who find a usefulness in the Scriptures. And I think that that's... That's a step in the process of bringing them to faith in Jesus. But, um, yeah, people need the scriptures. They're able to make you wise for salvation. Yeah. I mean, the book of Proverbs alone would save you a lot of trouble in life, right? There's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. So, yeah. Last question. What happens to those who die having never heard the gospel? You know, I talked quite a bit about this. You may remember we did a series on hell here a few years ago. I remember. We had, uh, what was it? Hell's Bells. We used ACDC as our intro music and did not get Nobody one Nobody got upset. They all thought it was the opening thing for Trevor yeah, Hoffman. Yeah, Trevor Hoffman was going to come out and yeah. preach the message. Oh. Yeah. Wow. What does the Bible say about hell? Um, so in that message, I talked about this exact situation. So people have a real challenge because they question the justice and mercy of God because they say, well, what about those people, native people in other countries that have never heard the gospel who die? Um For one, I think it's really important for us to recognize that God is completely just and he reveals himself as merciful. So he will deal justly with all people. He's not going to be unjust in his dealing with people. So it's my opinion that he's going to deal with people according to their knowledge. Um, No one is saved apart from the salvation that comes from the sacrifice of Jesus. So if anyone's saved, it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus on their behalf. Uh, But you know, how God deals with the person who's never had an opportunity to hear or never hears. You know, I, I'm one of those people who believes that God's going to deal with them according to the knowledge that they do have. So, uh, and God will be just when he does that. Yeah, typically when I'm having a conversation with somebody about that, um, it's an unbeliever. Uh-huh. And sometimes they're being a little confrontational. Yeah. But not always. Right. And so what I like to do is just lead them through a little Q&A at Jesus, ask questions. And I think it's a really great method of teaching. And I would say, well, yeah, you're right. That sounds kind of unfair. So what would you do? And they go, well, I'd give the guy a break. And I said, okay. And do you think you're more just or God's more just? Right. Uh, Well, I would hope God's more just. Do you think you have more grace or God has more grace? I would hope that God has more grace. Who's a better judge? Yeah. And they lead them down the path a little bit and say, okay, so to assume that God would just do this, just you are meant to burn that type of an attitude you really have to have a very low poor opinion of god that he is not bigger better smarter more grace-filled more compassionate than you are and i know for a fact that he is so that that reminds me of a bible story yeah 
So obviously we go back to the very first book of the Bible. We got that great story about Abraham and Abraham had a nephew named Lot. He actually had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. Yeah. I'm one of them. And so So am I. Let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. Anyway, so he had a nephew named Lot Uh who uh, pitched his tent towards Sodom. Sorry, that's an inside joke. Anyway, so uh, so he he uh, ended up in Sodom, and then God decides he's going to destroy Sodom, and God lets Abraham in on his little plan to destroy Sodom because of their wickedness, and Abraham intercedes oh, on behalf of the people of Sodom. I, I, per adventure, one of my favorite per words. Per adventure, there are 50 righteous. Abraham. This is King James Version. Per adventure. Have you ever had anybody bring you a prophecy in King James? Oh, they're always in King James. And it's like, do you really think God spoke King James? Well, Paul did, didn't he? I'm I'm betting more on pigeon than than, yeah. than King James. So uh, so Abraham intercedes with God on behalf of not just his nephew Lot, right. but on the entire city of Sodom, and he says, "Perhaps there's fifty righteous. Will you spare the city if there's fifty righteous?" And he keeps doing this thing with God. But Abraham, he's negotiating. He's totally a negotiator. He is one of the first great negotiators. Right. Yes. He, uh, what what would we say? He's uh, never mind the deal. What's the never mind. Anyway, so... Uh, the art of the deal. The art of the deal. The art of the deal. Abraham style. Yeah. Ur of Chaldees, art of the deal. Yeah. Circa 3,000... See, it's just Trump stole it from him. There you go. There you go. So, um, so he asks this really important question of God in that passage, or he makes this statement. Abraham says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Which is a really good point, that if there is a judge who's going to judge all people, he needs to be righteous in his judgment. And you know, God... God makes very, very clear that he is merciful and he is just and he will act righteously when he judges. And there's going to be nobody who says, no, I don't think that that was the righteous thing to do. God will be just. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot of huxpah, chutzpah, chutzpah to intercede with God. Well, no, to intercede with God, but to back God up on one of his own promises and attributes. Like, I know you're righteous, God, so you, you wouldn't do that. Like, would you do that? And like, please tell me you wouldn't do that. Right. Say it ain't so. Yeah. And man, God, uh, yeah. So anyway, God's going to be fair to those. They use the word natives. He will be just. He was going to be fair. He'll be just, Mm -hmm. gracious, compassionate. He's going to be God. You know, one of my favorite Old Testament passages is in the section of scripture in Exodus chapter 34 when Moses wants to see God. God says, you can't see me, but he makes provision for him and he declares Cleft his name to the rock. Exodus yeah. 34, six, the Lord declares his name, which is synonymous mm-hmm. with his nature. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful. The first thing God uses to describe himself as merciful. And he talks about being forgiving and he talks about being gracious. And he talks about all these wonderful attributes that which you love. And he talks about justice. So he will be merciful and forgiving and gracious, and he will be just. Yeah, I don't want to test those areas. Now, you brought up something that I had never heard before. Okay. And I agree with, but it was a quote from somewhere, and I don't know where you got it. But I I really, I'm like, whoa, that was heavy. That was deep. And uh, uh, was, you said that, uh, well, I heard two of these this week. Actually, one of them was one of those silly little memes, you know, and it was like, Deuteronomies or something, but it says the Bible is the only book where the author's in love with the reader. And I thought, well, that's a nice way of looking at that. I like that. Hmm. So that's love. But the one that you said you brought up was the fact that the Bible is the the book that reads us. 
while we read it while we read it and yeah i'm like ooh, it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it cuts deep well in coffee time with my you know my consultant my wife this mm-hmm. morning we we're talking about that and we we're talking about what that means and she goes well what does that mean and i said well you know if you're a mean-spirited person and you're you know always accusing other people you're going to be reading your bible and that could definitely as you're reading your Bible, could taint the way that you're perceiving the Word of God. If you're an evangelistic person, you'll always be seeing things that are evangelistic that are popping out at you. Um, we, if we're not careful, that's really good to read your Bible, but it's really good to be able to sit down and pray and really spend that time and uh, asking yourself, hey, am I reading into this? Well, I got my plumb bob sitting over there I from saw a message that. the other day. And yeah. so the Word of God sets that perfect true line, and then it reads us when we, we put our lives up next to it and see, how do I line up with this? Well, if you ever listen to the old Yeller Screamer guys and everybody's going to hell, um, their Bible's reading them. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So I, that, was a, that was a powerful statement. Where'd you steal that from? I have no idea. Well, then you've it's been you know. floating around in my head for a long time. I must have heard it. It's probably Billy Graham or something. Long time. Good it, time you ago. know what? It would be somebody like Billy to say something good like that. Billy is rocking with Jesus right now. And he's got a lot of company, bro. Do you think, do you think he heard, well done, good and faithful servant? I, I think with... Yeah, yeah, that's a given. Exclamation. I mean, dude. That's a given. Were you part... Were you... Was there a little part of you when you, you know, you're thinking when Billy goes, Jesus is coming back? Did you ever hear that joke about the limo driver? No. I probably shouldn't even tell it because I'll just totally ruin it. So limo driver picks up Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham's going to speak somewhere. And so this guy sends a limo to pick Billy up at the, you know, at the airport. So this limo driver picks up Billy Graham and Billy's looking at this limousine and he's just amazed by this limousine. And he asks the limo driver, is there any chance you'd let me drive this car? I've always wanted to drive one of these cars. And limo drivers tell him about how awesome it is. It's brand new. It's got a big engine. It's fast. And so he says, any chance you'd let me drive it? The limo driver says, here you go. Gives him the keys. So the limo driver gets in the back and Billy Graham gets in the front seat and he's driving, going down the highway, going a little too fast. Pentecostal. A little yeah. Pentecostal. Yeah. And so uh, next thing you know, there's a motor- motorcycle cop that's got the lights and sirens and pulls the limousine over. And he walks up and he asks license and registration, and he's just dumbfounded when he looks in there and he sees it's Billy Graham. It's Billy, the, yeah. He's driving the limousine. So he gets back to his motorcycle and he calls up dispatch. And he, he says, dispatch, I'm going to need some backup. And they say, well, why do you need some backup? you got to come check this out. I don't know who's in the limo, but Billy Graham's his limo driver. So and it's got to be someone big. And I, I, I was going to say, and I think he said... Let him go if it's Billy Graham driving. It's probably G- probably Jesus That's in the right. back. Billy yeah, Graham, limo driver. Yeah, yeah. I totally I butchered the joke, but it we're going to find out what it is one day. So anyway, so uh, any final remarks before we sign off this week? No, man. Go with God. Vio con Dios. Did I say that right? I think so. I don't. I don't speak Spanish. It's okay. I barely speak English. I know one thing. If I spoke Spanish, I'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well with that ladies and gentlemen god bless your weekend i'd be ordering in restaurants oh yeah everybody would know i spoke spanish yeah yeah it's probably why i can't sing or play the guitar either man oh man all right well anyways sundays are coming peace out god bless